This morning, uh, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in for the last four weeks called Relatively Speaking, and we've been looking at uh, words from the Proverbs that have the power to transform our relationships. And today, we're going to wrap up this series focusing on a phrase uh, that as followers of Jesus, uh, this is just vitally important. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know there's great benefit, I think, in this, uh, in this message and in this phrase for you as well. But I, I specify that this morning because if you are uh, a person who has given their life to Christ, this one is not optional. This one is absolutely essential. Uh, it's highlighted throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New, and it's these two words, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about gratitude, and it's fitting with Thanksgiving just behind us. A lot of people consider what they're thankful for this time of year. I wonder how many of you uh, maybe are part of the tradition of sitting around the Thanksgiving table and, and maybe sharing a thing or two that you're thankful for. Did anybody do that a couple of days ago? I know we've been a part of that tradition in the past. Uh, I'd love to share something with you that I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving. Uh, a lot of you know that I enjoy hunting. It's deer season in Indiana right now, and uh, my dad Dad also is a deer hunter, but we have never hunted together. And so this year we made a point and we made a plan to go out into the woods together. And uh, I was so thankful and am so thankful for that time that I got to spend with my dad. We had so much fun uh, trying to outsmart those deer. And uh, ultimately we didn't. They won that day. Uh, but just being in the woods with my dad and texting back and forth of what we were seeing and interacting with him about that, uh, I was so thankful for that. And you know, as simple as it is uh, this time of year to think about what it is that we're thankful for, I think that gratitude is really something that's very easily overlooked in our day-to-day -day lives. We, we expect that we're going to be thankful at Thanksgiving. Uh, it's natural. But what about the rest of the year? Well, well here's the deal. We're going to talk this morning about what it means to be thankful, not just at Thanksgiving, but in every season of our lives. Now, if you're a parent, I hope that gratitude is something that you are striving to instill in your kids. My wife, Beth Ann, and I, uh, we are working hard toward that goal. But my son, Josiah, has a really hard time being thankful for food he doesn't like. Anybody here have a picky eater in their family? That's Josiah uh, at our house. But here's the policy at the Kraus house. Uh, today's menu, eat it or starve, okay? And that plaque actually hangs in our kitchen as a gentle and loving reminder uh, that we will have food for you to eat, but whether or not you eat it is your decision. And if you don't eat it, there isn't anything else, okay? So it's your choice. So one night at the dinner table, Beth Ann set Joe's food in front of him, and immediately he said, I don't like that. To which my wife explained to him that, uh, you know, you may not like it, but it's what mommy made and you need to eat it or you're going to go to bed hungry. And Josiah considered that for a minute, looked straight at his mom and calmly replied, apology accepted. <laughs> it's not always easy to be thankful, is it? It's not always our natural response. In his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg addresses this topic of gratitude, and he talks about the power of thank you. And to illustrate his point, Ortberg challenges his readers to a two-day experiment. On day one, the reader is challenged to start every conversation with a complaint. Complain about your health, complain about your job, complain about money, complain about family issues, or maybe just take it to the next level and, uh, and complain about the person that you're with. Tell them you don't like them. Tell them you don't like their personality, uh, that they don't have good hygiene, whatever it might be. Day one, just complain as much as you possibly can. Pretty fun, right? 
Some of you are like, I haven't even read that book. I do that anyway. Don't be nudging anybody next to you when I say that. But on day two, Ortberg says to start every interaction with a thank you. So the exact opposite of day one. When you meet a friend, you tell them, you know what? I just want to tell you, I am so thankful for you. I'm glad God put you in my life. Or, or maybe if you're with a family member, tell them, you know what? It's been a while since I said so, but I'm thankful you're my mom. I'm thankful you're my dad. I'm thankful you're my child, whatever the case might be. Just spend the whole day thinking about what you're thankful for. It could be your, your health, it could be your relationships, job, your church, whatever it might be. And then after that two-day experiment, Ortberg challenges you to ask the question, which of those two days left you feeling more alive? Which of the two days left you feeling closer to God? And we don't even have to do the experiment to know the answer to that question, do we? We know that a, a, a day that is intentionally focused on gratitude is going to lead to those things, uh, to feeling, feeling more alive, feeling closer to God. And Ortberg concludes with this point. He says, the soul thrives on gratitude. The soul thrives on gratitude. And I would say that the opposite of that is also true, that without gratitude, my soul and yours, man, they starve. We, we starve without gratitude. I mean, we all know what it's like to be around people who aren't thankful. I bet you've got stories. Uh, I got to hear one story from my dad when I was with him. Uh, he sometimes drives a bus for the city where he lives, and he's primarily driving senior citizens around town to go to their appointments. So he'll take them to the doctor. He'll take them to Walmart to get their groceries, whatever it might be. And there's, there's one uh, elderly woman who my dad told me about who frequently rides his bus uh, who is just the kind of person who can take a blessing and turn it into a curse. Do you know what I mean? So like if the sun's shining, she talks about how we need the rain. And if it's raining, sure wish the sun would shine. Just never happy. But, uh, but the funny part of the story is that my dad told me there's another guy that he picks up at that same senior center. And he kind of hides around the corner, and he peeks around to see if she's getting on the bus, because if she's getting on, uh, he goes back to his room. He just decides he doesn't want to be around her, because she's such a downer, and, uh, and he doesn't want to do that. Have you ever been around that kind of person? You ever had that kind of feeling? Or maybe to make it just a little bit more personal, uh, would you say that, that sometimes maybe you struggle with being that kind of a person, focusing on the bad instead of on the good? Because here's what we read in Proverbs, Proverbs 17.22. It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And in VeggieTales, Madam Blueberry makes it very clear that a thankful heart is a happy heart. I'm a father of four, so I get to use VeggieTale references, okay? But it's true. The cheerful heart that Proverbs speaks of is a result of gratitude. And so here's the deal. This is where I want you to focus in. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is more than just a suggestion. Okay, living with gratitude isn't just a good way to live. For followers of Jesus, gratitude is actually a command. Did you know that? Thankful living is actually commanded in Scripture, and it's expected of us. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is part of God's will for your life and for mine. Here's the part I want us to really zoom in on for today. If you're taking notes, here's the principle, that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Man, that's tough, isn't it? 
I mean, considering what some of you have gone through or maybe even what you are going through right now, you're probably asking, you know, how am I supposed to give thanks in the middle of this? I'm not thankful for a a mortgage I can't pay or a sickness I can't shake or, or the loss of someone I love. How am I supposed to be thankful in all circumstances? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that this morning. And I want you to know right at the top, the answer to that question is very simple, but it's not easy. Okay, the, 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 the principle is very simple, but it's not easy to put it into practice. Give thanks in all circumstances. But to see this principle illustrated, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke. If you brought your Bibles, if you didn't bring them, there's some under the chairs around you. Uh, if you're using the house Bible, this passage is on page 731. Uh, but we're going to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 11. And here's what it says. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And let's just pause right there. Jesus was traveling near Samaria. And we have to remember that Jesus was Jewish and that Jews uh, didn't really associate with Samaritans. They didn't really like the Samaritans. In fact, that's putting it way too softly because they hated each other. The the Samaritans and the Jews, there was hate between those two groups. Uh, They hated them so much, the Jews hated Samaritans so much, that if they had to travel between Jerusalem, which was in the south, and Galilee, which was in the north, they would actually go around Samaria, which sat right in the middle. It was to be avoided at all costs if you were a Jew. So they would add days uh, to their trip just to get around Samaria. But Jesus doesn't go the long way. Why? Did he just like a good shortcut? Maybe. I mean, he was fully man, but, but I know there was actually more than just that. With the, this isn't the first time that we found Jesus in Samaria. If you were here with us in our Son of Man series, you'll remember that we talked about uh, in John chapter 4 that, that it said he had to go through Samaria. And if you remember, you know, like I said, geographically, that's not true. You could, you could move around the outside. He could have gone around. But we said in our Son of Man series that he had to go through Samaria because that's what his father had told him to do. And remember, obedience is God's love language, and Jesus always made it his priority to obey. So even in a culture that said, stay away from there, those people are to be hated, don't even get close, Jesus wasn't listening to the crowd. He was listening to his father. And I think that's why we find Jesus on the border of Samaria, again, here in Luke chapter 17. So pick it up in verse 12. It says, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, this wouldn't have been uh, out of the ordinary at all in Jesus' day. The the lepers would be living outside of the village, living by themselves, so as not to infect anyone else with this terrible disease. If you don't know, leprosy is a disease that actually attacks the central nervous system, but it shows itself through the skin. And large tumor-like growths will appear on the skin, and they'll crack open. And, uh, and it's a terrible disease. But at the same time, uh, as, as you're seeing this happen on the exterior of the body, uh, on the inside, the person is losing all sense of touch, all sense of pain. So a person who has leprosy could literally have their arm over a fire being burned, and they wouldn't know it. They wouldn't feel it. They wouldn't sense that pain at all. And the disease leaves people deformed and even leads to loss of limbs in its more advanced stages. So as we read this text, you can know that anyone who had leprosy uh, in Jesus' day was extremely feared. 
I mean, you didn't want to get that disease because people would be removed from society and they'd be forced to live on the outskirts and to endure the hardship of this disease all alone. And so if anyone got close to them, there was actually a, a law that these people had to cry out. If they saw someone coming, they had to scream, leprosy, leprosy, unclean, declaring, you don't want to come over here. You don't want to get what I've got. And so as we find these men uh, standing at a distance as they're yelling to Jesus, that makes sense. But what they're saying to Jesus is, have pity on us. And in verse 14, we read that when Jesus saw them, he responds to them and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And then look at what it says next. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. So this is really interesting because Jesus doesn't heal these men immediately. He says, go and show yourself to the priest because the priest is the one who could declare these men as clean. He's the one who could look at them and say, yeah, the leprosy has left your body. You can re-engage with society. You can be a part of it now. You're clean. They didn't have to be isolated anymore. But when Jesus tells them to go, the disease is still clearly still in their body. They're not clean yet. And if that was you, wouldn't you question Jesus? Like, why am I going to the priest? The disease is still clearly here. Shouldn't you heal me first? You know, I'm missing limbs. I got these sores all over my body. Maybe we should take care of that first, Jesus. But they don't say that. Even with the disease clearly still in their body, they trust Jesus. They take a step of faith, and it says, as they went, they were cleansed. It was when they were faithful to what Jesus had told them to do that the disease left their body. And there's a whole other sermon right there on what it means to live by faith. But what I want you to really see this morning is what happens next in the text. In verse 15, here's what it says. It says, One of them, one of these lepers, when he saw he was healed, came back. And I don't even think this guy made it to the priest personally. I think he sees what Jesus has done for him. He sees that he's been healed. His body is restored. And it says, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, it's interesting that Luke points out that this man was a Samaritan. It makes you wonder if the other men were possibly Jewish. Maybe the fact that they all had leprosy was stronger than the hate that they had grown up knowing. Did Jewish lepers and Samaritan lepers put down their differences and live together under the the commonality of, well, we've all got this disease, so we're going to help each other out? Well, maybe, or, or maybe this guy was an outcast even among outcasts. Maybe he had to live all alone, make his own fire, make his own food, find his own shelter, live in complete isolation, you know, rejected even by those who knew the sting of rejection themselves. We don't really know what the case is. We just know that Luke highlights in his gospel that this man was a Samaritan. But look at what Jesus' response to him is. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And there Jesus highlights again the fact that this guy is different. And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And what Jesus highlights here and what I want to highlight to you this morning is that it isn't enough just to feel thankful. We've got to act on it. We've got to feel it and express it. Why? Because God's desire is that we would be people moved by gratitude, people marked by gratitude, and people who act on gratitude, giving thanks in all circumstances. But what about those other nine? I mean, we've got to wonder, where is everybody else? Why didn't they come back? Even Jesus wondered that. He asked the Samaritan that. 
Was it that they were so caught up in the joy of being healed that, uh, that they just forgot about the one who had healed them? I guess that's possible. Or maybe did they feel like, like God owed it to them that, that they would be made well? You know, did they feel like, well, God gave me this disease, and so he owed it to me to heal me. So there's really nothing to be thankful for, maybe. It's hard to understand how someone can be healed from something as horrible as leprosy and yet not return to give gratitude for it just to take that for granted. But here's where I want to bring it really close to home for you and for me this morning, because I believe that we are in danger of doing that exact same thing. I mean, think about what it really means to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances, because I can think of a lot of circumstances within even just our church body in the last couple of weeks that make me think that that command isn't fair. Just thinking about what's been going on in your lives and some of the lives of the people at my campus, it makes me question, is that even fair to be commanded to rejoice in all circumstances? Some of you have lost jobs, found out about sickness, had trouble with your kids, or even lost the person who is most important to you in this world. How am I supposed to give thanks in the middle of that? But what I think it comes down to is this. For those of you who have given your lives to Christ for those of you who are, who are walking with Jesus, without minimizing any of what you might be going through, I want to gently remind you this morning that you've got a reason to rejoice always, to give thanks in every single circumstance, because you and I were suffering from a sickness far worse than leprosy. You and I were terminally ill with sin. We were headed toward hell eternal separation from the Father, eternal suffering, and there was absolutely nothing that we could do to change that trajectory and that reality in our lives. But that's when Jesus added humanity to his deity. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took the very nature of a servant. He took the form of a human, and he became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And he healed us from our bodies of death, and he called us out of darkness and into light, and he gave us a hope and a future with God for all of eternity. And it cost him everything. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you understand that Christ became your sin, he paid for it with his own blood and he endured death on a cross so that you and I could be made right with God and experience eternity with him in heaven. The only appropriate response is unending gratitude. And listen, I know that it is so easy to be consumed by the stress and the troubles of this life. The stress is real and sometimes it's overwhelming. But here's the deal. Jesus knew it would be this way. He flat out told us, in this world, you will have trouble. Count on it. Bank on it. If you're not experiencing right now, it is coming. Trouble is coming. But Jesus also says to you, take heart because I have overcome this world. So here's the good news. These problems that try to steal our joy and that steal our gratitude, they're temporary. God has taken care of the eternal problem for us. And he has left us with a hope to cling to in the midst of our temporary sufferings. The Apostle Paul, he was a guy who understood this. In fact, to the point that, that he refers to our suffering as light and momentary. When you think about the things that you've gone through or maybe are going through right now, would you categorize it as light 
and momentary. But remember, this is the guy who was flogged and stoned and beaten and shipwrecked on a slave ship. He was bitten by a deadly snake, should have died then, eventually was put to death for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when Paul uses that phrase, light and momentary, don't think for a minute that this is a guy who doesn't know what suffering is. Don't think for a second that this is a guy who just had an easy life. But what Paul understood was that in the midst of our suffering, right in the middle of it, we have a hope, and it's a hope that cannot be shaken. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews twelve twenty eight, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful. You've been given an unshakable reason to be thankful, even in the midst of life's darkest days. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And what I want for our church, for your life and for mine, is that we would be a people marked by gratitude. Not just that we would put on our Sunday smiles and come in here and fake it for everybody, but that we would feel it in our bones and speak it with our lips and that God would be glorified in our gratitude. So to that end, I want to give just a really practical step that we can take as a church toward being those kinds of people. So for everyone here today, uh, here's what I want you to do. Through the month of December, I want you to act on this. I know that December can be a busy time. It can be a stressful time. But, but I want every day for the next month, at the start of your day, for you to write down three things that you are thankful for. Just three things without any repeats from one day to the next. Set, uh, set a recurring event on your phone or maybe put a post-it note on your alarm clock. But when your eyes open in the morning for the next 30 days, I want you to jot down three unique things that you're thankful for. And then as you have the opportunity in your day, I want you to act on it. I want you to reach out to the person who's associated with that thank you, or I want you to reach out to the Lord in prayer and thank him for whatever it is that you've found to be grateful for. Just communicate your thanks sometime, some way. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to start this morning, and uh, I'm going to invite Josh to come out. He's going to sing a song as we do this. But you should have gotten a sermon notes page when you came in. If you don't have one of those, you can either grab uh, the connection card off the back of the chair. If you have the Genesis Church app, pull up the sermon notes on that. But I want to start today with our gratitude training. And I want to give you just a couple of minutes to consider and to write down your first three things that you're thankful for. Let's do that now as Josh uh, sings through a song here.
Thank you for finding me. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for Thanks, Josh. You know, um, I think if we were being honest, we would have to say that it's actually really easy to respond like the other nine. If we were being just, just totally honest, I bet there's been a, 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 a time in all of our lives where we failed to give a thank you where thank you was definitely deserved. And maybe we, we focused on what God hadn't done instead of what we wanted God to do, and it probably left us angry, bitter, miserable. And God doesn't want for us to live that way. This is God's will for us, that we would rejoice always, that we would pray without ceasing, that we would give thanks in every circumstance. And like I said before, you know, that principle is simple, but it's not easy. And so as we bring this to a close, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to ask that you would bow your heads with me. And if there's something in your life right now that is just overwhelming and maybe is stealing your gratitude, it's keeping you from living life the way that God wants you to live life, I want to invite you right now to put your hand in the air because I want to pray for you specifically this morning. I see those hands. Let me pray for you. So, Father God, as we come before you this morning, Father, we just start by recognizing that, uh, that you, are, you are sovereign. There is nothing that happens here on earth that you didn't know about before it happened, that you don't see when it happens. Father, that, that doesn't make sense to you. There's a lot of things that happen here that don't make sense to us. But, God, you're not surprised by anything. And so we just recognize that right off the bat. But, Father, we also see in Scripture that you are a God who cares for us, 
And your word tells us that, that we can cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us. And so for my brothers and sisters here this morning who've put that hand in the air and acknowledged, yeah, you know what? There's some things going on now or some things that have gone on that are just overwhelming and the stress is beyond my control and it's stealing my joy, it's stealing my gratitude. Father, we lay that at the foot of the cross this morning as we recognize that Christ came to heal us from our sin, to give us a hope beyond this world and that you have fixed the eternal problem for us so that we can look at these, as Paul calls them, light and momentary troubles. But we can look at them in view of eternity. We can look at them in view of the cross and know that that we have a hope and a future that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken with you. I pray, Father, that you would put that in the forefront of our minds. Put it in front of us, God, to where we cannot forgive it, even in life's darkest days, that we have a reason to rejoice always. We have a a reason to give thanks in all circumstances. Father, not that that we're going to be happy people all the time, but that we would be people filled with joy all the time people constantly rejoicing because of your goodness, because of the hope that we have that goes far beyond this world. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in our thoughts and our words and our actions and in our gratitude even this day. We love you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.